Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu. What's going on there, Scott? Very little. Just got had a great family vacation. Went to a couple of zoos, Toledo and Columbus. Nice. Uh, had, a lot of, had a lot of fun. Um, you know, obviously the, the kid loved it. So do I. I'm like a little kid and I go to the zoo. So I'm doing great, man. Mm, awesome. Yeah. The zoo, nothing like uh, going to the zoo. Uh, last time I think we were in a zoo was actually the San Diego Zoo, which is really cool. Bronx yeah. Zoo. If you ever come to New York, Bronx Zoo is also awesome. Is, yeah, I've heard. And, and like yeah. San Diego Zoo is is what my son really wants to go to. But, yeah, because uh, you get to see the pandas, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, everything. Yeah, yeah. Right? They have, they have so like what, everything over So there. what you do is you do what we did. Uh, you, you get tickets for San Diego Comic-Con. Um, unfortunately, the Padres were away, but we got to see the stadium um, through the back. You could actually walk in and it's you get to see the field. It's real nice. And, of course, we also went to the, the uh, San Diego Zoo, which is really awesome as well. But, uh, hey, you know, uh, dog days of August, we're all <laughs> sweating, right? It's been like in the 90s here in New York, like for several days. Um, and, uh, you know, a week has passed since the MLB trade deadline. Uh, we actually have some uh, some news to share, right? Um, uh, where do we want to start? How about we start with uh, Tim Anderson? We were talking about him right before the show. Um, has a, a ligament damage, right? He's going to have to have surgery. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Um, so, uh, you know, hey, Didi's out there. Didi Gregorius got uh, <laughs> DFA'd by the Phillies. But uh, Tim Anderson, big loss for fantasy managers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's a top shelf shortstop. I mean, he takes a little bit of a of a downgrade in OBP, but nobody cares because uh, he still hits home runs, steals bases. This is pretty tough because this is functionally half of the season. So if you're in playoff mode, this is a really difficult injury. I will say you probably, I mean, most people just aren't going to have someone better on their IL than Tim Anderson. So, you know, you can't release him. I think you just might get forced into a difficult decision with some other guys who are still on the IL. Uh, and then Didi Gregorius's release is actually somewhat interesting from a fantasy perspective because one, I'm interested to see where he ends up, but two, and, and how he ends up doing. But I'm also, uh, it was also interesting because I was worried about that crowded Philadelphia infield, and he was going to ultimately share time with Bryson Stott. I, he and Bryson Stott are both left-handed, Segura's right-handed, so one of them was going to have to sit all the time. But the Phillies fix that for us by unfortunately releasing one of them he'll probably catch on somewhere but he i mean he's a he's going to be an only league guy once we figure out what league he goes to yeah unfortunately uh not too much going on for the white Sox in terms of replacements for anderson uh yeah we know uh Leori Garcia, he's been in the major leagues for a while. They have uh, Romy Gonzalez, basically a 20 home or 20 stolen base guy during his uh, minor league career. They also have uh, Lenyon Sosa, basically during his minor league career, 278, 15 home run guy. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, another big news there, Scott, Chris Sale. Season is done. He was already on the IL recovering from surgery to repair a fractured pinky. Now, all of a sudden, he tries to go bike riding over the past weekend. I guess he couldn't grab that uh, those that handlebar uh, too tightly because uh, he uh, had a biking accident and uh, fractured his wrist. And now he had surgery. He's done for the season. Man, you know what's so heartbreaking about this is 
he had an injury, you know, injury prone label stuck to him when Mm. he was coming up and and when he was with the White Sox, because everyone was worried about this tiny little frame. Of course, now the wheels are falling off for what's what's frustrating is it's a variety of different reasons. It's shoulder, it's wrist, it's it's a lot of reasons. You know, he gets hit by a pitch. Like all kinds of things keep putting him on the IL. Yeah, the you pinky know, it, thing was a, a freak accident uh, when he was pitching uh, yeah. against the Yanks. That was a freak thing. Yeah, and so he keeps getting these freak accidents. And on one hand, injury, you know, injury risk does go up. Like every time, as you get older and every time they get hurt, you're just more likely to get hurt. So on one hand, it goes up. On the other hand, you have to remember a lot of these were just, I mean, random, right? Like not totally random, but but very unpredictable, not necessarily related to like repetitive stress. When we talk about injury risk and re-injuring something, it's usually repetitive stress stuff we're worried about. Elbow, Mm -hmm. shoulders, like that stuff's what we can predict better, but like you can't predict getting hit in the hand and then breaking your wrist. Right, right. right. That's hard to predict. So he's going to be, he's going to be tough next year from a risk of, you know, he's going to play next year, uh, probably all season in theory, but there's a huge risk assessment that has to be done there. And that's going to be interesting. Going to be very interesting to see where Chris Sale goes talking about next year. And then later on in the show, I'll tease it. Uh, we did a way too early mock draft, six rounds of it that we'll discuss later on. But, um, you, you know, like you talk about uh, the next year, you know, Chris Sale has always been looked upon. Yes, like you said, uh, a bit injury prone, but at the same time, one of the premier pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it would stuff healthy. is like he is injury prone, but like not necessarily because of something he's doing with like his pitching mechanics, mm-hmm. right? He like his last two are just like getting hurt. Like the way his injuries are like injuries I would have like a regular person. Like I get hit in the hand in a beer league softball game and then crash my bike, right? <laughs> like those are regular people injuries. So uh, it like those injuries won't affect his performance. Well, you have too many beers while uh, playing yeah, in your yeah. softball beer. Yeah. You know, you don't want to bike under the influence. Um, right. <laughs> but I will say in dynasty leagues, what's really tough here is you, in theory, you'd want to be, you know, you'd want to be trading this guy for future assets if you're in a rebuild, but you can't even do that. Right. What's right. weird is that as sale, yeah. the, the dynasty value play on sale is actually just to hold him because mm-hmm. his value couldn't possibly be lower than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, did you ever think that Matt Carpenter would have some fantasy value this season? I mean, I definitely didn't, but you know what? I uh, ended up, I, I told you, I, I rostered him in the 15-team TGFBI, and it got to a point now where I was going to only start him when he played at home at Yankee Stadium because over the weekend I was watching uh, him play against the Cardinals, and he hit a ball that would have went out in right field in Yankee Stadium, but it went to a warning track. But I'll just bring it up real quick. Carpenter uh, is going to be out for a while, fractured his foot, had uh, a 305 batting average, 15 homers, 37 RBI in 47 games. That's actually, you know what, I guess more of a real-life blow to the Yanks right now because John Carlos Stanton is out. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a sad story. It is. He was ha- I mean, he had some magic. It, it definitely wore off during the All-Star break since we came back from the All-Star break. The plate discipline's great. Walk in a little over 10% of the time, striking out a little under 20% of the time. We love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was only hitting 224. OBP was 316. That's fine. Slugging 429. That's fine. He was a fifth outfielder hitting in the middle of a injury depleted but still productive lineup. But now that he's out for basically the rest of the season, I mean, he's a drop in 
all but the very deepest of leagues. Agree, agreed. Uh, Miguel Andujar called up to replace him. Uh, Andujar, good hitter. It's just that the Yanks can't really find uh, a place to play him every day. You know, he's batting 293, 12 homers, 46 RBI, and 64 minor league games. No real fantasy value, but uh, a rooting for Miguel Andujar. And uh, let me just go over real quick as we're going to move on. A couple moves that I made. A friend, Mil Reyes, uh, released by the Guardians. I uh, actually picked him up, um, and I'm going to stream him in, in a, a 12-team head-to-head league. Look, you know, Cubs picked him up. Nice hitter's ballpark. I, I know he had a, a rough COVID so far this season, 213 with nine homers and 70 games. But this is the kind of guy that if he gets hot, you know, th- th- what do we have? We have about, what, seven weeks left to the season. He, if he gets hot, he could hit another 12 home runs for you, uh, in my opinion. And uh, nice landing spot. And we're recording this on Tuesday the 9th. Um, he's outfield and obviously utility eligible in yahoo leagues uh you know and he's in the uh, starting lineup uh, on tuesday night yeah they i mean they just slapped him in the fifth spot right mm-hmm. like what what a day right he gets picked up off waivers and he's hitting you know he's batting fifth right in the middle of the lineup so right. with fran Morales, on one hand it's easy to talk about the fact that this is a guy who when clicking looks like a 40 home run bat right there's mm-hmm. a very finite number of those that's just what he can do the problem is He's one of these guys who at his best looks like, you know, a, an absolute wrecking ball at the plate. Like he just crushes everything. But then when he's at his worst, it's it's this very Javi Baez effect that when he's off, he just looks, I mean, he looks like he needs to be DFA, right? I mean, he's, he's that, I mean, his, his hit well, tool has never been something that has been his advantage, right? He likes to swing the bat too. 37% yeah. strikeout rate this season. Well, he, he likes to swing the bat because you know, he's not trying to stop it first, right? Mm-hmm. Fran Hill Reyes is a, is a three true outcomes guy, except like that third outcome, the walk that doesn't really happen. <laughs> he doesn't really do that. Like it, in theory, he'll take some walks and he does at times, but not enough to offset some of the negative. I think he's a guy that, yeah, stream him for power. That's fine. It was the same thing you were doing when he was a guardian. It's just now maybe he's a little more likely to do it because the Cubs don't have much of a, you know, they don't have a super deep lineup right now. They don't have mm-hmm. any reason not to play him at DH. Say Suzuki's not been what they hoped after coming out real hot. Ian Happ's been pretty good. Wilson Contreras, obviously good, but like the rest of the lineup. I mean, what's weird is that Fran Mel Reyes and Patrick Wisdom are here in the same lineup. And basically Patrick <laughs> Wisdom is what Fran Mel Reyes is, but except Patrick Wisdom isn't as cold, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's had more hot streaks this season. So he's useful for fantasy. Fran Mel Reyes hasn't been yet. Like, this is not a 12-team action thing for me unless, you know, you've got a big gaping hole in your second utility spot or something. But he's someone you can at least watch list, see if he hits two or three home runs in a series, and then maybe grab it, mm-hmm. right? Especially if he gets some nice pitching matchups. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be around. But he's a guy that can take advantage of bad pitching, but he's able to do that less and less the older he gets, apparently. Right. A um, couple of sleepers. I wanted to talk about uh, Michael Massey, second baseman for the Royals. Uh, obviously, we talked about uh, Whit Merrifield getting traded to the Blue Jays uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, you look at Massey's minor league numbers, 5-2 guy, good OBP skills, right? Uh, minor league numbers, 294, 356, 506, uh, like a 
21 home runs in uh, 2021 with 12 stolen bases. So, um, that, and I was reading that he made a real nice defensive play today. Uh, like I said, we're recording this on Tuesday the 9th. Um, you know, I picked him up in a 15-teamer, and I'm going to stream him as a middle infielder. Yeah, and that sounds right. So with him, I mean, he's one of these, he's one of these hit tool guys, right? So you'll notice he hasn't shown, I mean, it's a very small sample in the majors, of course, but he hasn't shown very much power. I think he's got one extra base hit so far. He's got a double uh, and he actually got it on the seventh. So last time he played, I think that he has a chance to keep moving up in the order. They, they batted him second a few days ago. And I think that'd be really cool if he can stick there. Uh, he might be a, vol- a decent volume guy. His average will be okay. His OBP really won't. Um, he was walking 9.1% of the time in the minors, and that's fine. I don't think that's what it's going to look like in the majors. That'll probably come out to more like a, a very average 7, 7.5%, maybe less. Uh, the strikeout rate should still be good, too. I think he's going to make a lot of contact. The problem is I don't think he's going to do a ton with it. So he's got this very light. Hopefully what we see is a a Bryson Stott. Uh, 2022 Alec Bohm, uh, David Fletcher, Luis Arias kind of guy who, I mean, this is the upside that he makes tons of contact, doesn't strike out very much, doesn't walk very much either, and has good ratios except for slugging, right? Like, mm. I'm not sure this is a guy that's going to slug above 400 uh, very often, but a little bit of power, a little bit of stolen bases. Another guy that, you know, the best case scenario for him is hopefully he can be sort of like what Alec Thomas has been so far, just a little bit of everything. Right. Nothing outstanding, but a little bit. He's like a he's like a two and a half tool guy because he's got half a tool across the board. Yeah. I'm gonna just uh his walk rate uh in this season in the minor leagues was nine point one. So I think he walks you know decent amount of times, but uh yeah, I like you know, like I said, I added him in a fifteen teamer and uh we'll see. I mean I'm not gonna hang my season on him but um, that's that's where to add him yeah that's where it is it's that 15 team league Mm -hmm. where you need that middle you know that middle infield spot i mean i think that's that's ideal if you're in a more shallow league than that there's Mm -hmm. just not you don't need to do anything here go get like Eladmus diaz or someone else who's like a more proven version of this well just keep mike messi on your uh, watch list for now obviously um Let's talk about uh, one of your favorite teams there, the Rockies. Uh, I'm, I'm liking them so far, <laughs> what I'm seeing from Elauris Montero. Uh, Rockies, uh, first baseman, third baseman. They've been using him in DH, uh, maybe in line for some uh, long-term playing time with Chris Bryant still dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis. Um, uh, another guy with uh, some power. Um, uh, and you can, you can never go wrong. I guess you could, could go wrong with, uh, a, a Rocky <laughs> hitter in your lineup, but, uh, it's always enticing to get someone that's going to play half the games in Coors Field, uh, in your lineup. Yeah, it is. And what's actually kind of fun is like this recent hot streak where he's been hitting the ball like crazy, uh, was on the road, mm. right? Like he did all mm-hmm. that in, uh, San Diego and Arizona. He's now on a, you know, now he's about to be on a home stretch. I mean, just tons of doubles, right? I love mm-hmm. to see that. Absolutely. Had, what, yeah, five doubles in his last seven games. Um, that's great to see. The pot, and like one of the one game he didn't have a double because he hit a home run, right? Like that. <laughs> it, it's really you know, it's very you. exciting to see this, and it's a great time for him to pick up that momentum heading right into a week at course, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he's going to be, his stats are going to get really bloated, I think over the next week. Cause you're going to have like last, he's about to be the best over the last 15 days guy by the end of this week. 
which is fine, right? I think he's maybe a little more limited as a hitter than we're seeing, but he has a good hit tool, good power. At one time, this was a real prospect. It's just that like when you projected a 50 hit tool and a, and a 50 power, he like never really, he has never really grown into that hit tool. So uh, obviously even in the majors, he's not walking like at all, uh, but that's because he's hitting right now. So I don't really care that he's not walking. I think he'll start walking when they stop throwing him strikes. Mm-hmm. But there's, I mean, there's definite power here. And that that's the tool you're going after. There's power. And then because, of course, there's safe batting average. I don't, I don't want to say that he's going to be a great batting average contributor. But because he's in cores, the real cores effect kicks in. And it probably gives him an extra 10 to 30 points of batting average, depending on how lucky he is. Mm-hmm. Right? So... I think he'll continue to hit something like somewhere between 260 and 280 and he'll, he'll hit home runs, right? Yep. Maybe not much more than that, but he'll hit home runs and he can hit like 260 to 280. And that's good. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I think he's a great, I mean, I'm streaming him in a ton of leagues, mm-hmm. right? 12 team and deeper, especially if I need a corner infielder, I'm streaming him everywhere because he was already hot and then he gets to go into course. I'll right. actually, you know, I don't have to make a decision really until I'm going into next week because this decision was made for me. Bunch of game, a, a hot hitter with a bunch of games in cores. That's automatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this point, uh, what are they like? I, I mentioned earlier about seven weeks left to the season. Um, by the way, we were just talking uh, with about Ellerys Montero. You sp- if you can't find them, you spell his first name E L E H U R I S Montero's M O N T E R O. So, um, about what about seven weeks or so left to regular season and uh look if i guess if you're in the middle of the pack you got a good shot to you know finish top three in your league you know i would never give up but uh, let's say if, if you're totally out of it you might think of uh, dfs at this juncture but uh, what are we thinking about Derek hall uh phillies uh he's been playing uh, some dh there unfortunately util only in yahoo leagues uh but uh almost exclusively starts against right-handed pitching, which is a little bit of a, a a problem. But you look at his numbers so far in 29 games, eight home runs, 15 RBI, 282 batting average, and uh, displayed a pretty good hit tool uh, in the minor leagues as well. Good power. Yeah, I mean, that's what Hall's got, right? Mm-hmm. I like that the plate discipline has gotten much better since, you know, I'm using the all-star break because mm-hmm. it's roughly – you know, like a little over two weeks. I usually have it almost 50 plate appearance, you know, usually about 50 plate appearance sample size. Uh, when I, when I go right now from the all-star break. So there's something there. I love seeing the K- the strikeout rate for hall being closer to 20 to 22% instead of up by 30. Like it was earlier. I like that. The walk rate is fine, right? Six and a half percent, not nearly as bad as it was when he first came up. That tells me he's making adjustments and you hear me talk about making adjustments all the time because for a guy like hall, that's what he has to do. Every pitcher knows what Derek Hall is trying to do in the box. And that's hit the ball really, really far. And yeah, I know everybody's trying to do that, but they also know that he's selling out, right? He does that. But the fact that he's changing a little is going to force pitchers to challenge him in the zone more. And by making them challenge him in the zone more, he gets more pitches to potentially send a very, very long way as evidenced by three home runs in his last two games, right? And no strikeouts. That's key. Mm-hmm. No strikeouts. Four hits, three home runs and a double, all extra base stuff and no strikeouts. Love to see that. He's got several games lately with, with no strikeouts. That's what I want to see. It's little by little, not necessarily a ton, but no strikeouts in games for Derek Hall and hitting doubles or home runs. Like yeah. the 310 batting average. Great. Awesome. That's because he's ripping the ball right now. 
but and that may come down a bit. But I think that he's you know he's going to keep playing for Philly. Uh, he'll play probably a little bit more than you think. It's going to uh, he the next time he plays first base, he might get some eligibility in some leagues that have really low thresholds like Yahoo, which is five starts. Uh, he's got four, I think, so he should be eligible pretty soon, potentially for space if you need a lift. But yeah, Derek Hall, lots of power. And when he gets hot, of course, like he is right now, he can be really deadly. He may not be someone you hold for the rest of the season, and that's mm-hmm. fine, yep. right? Because you don't need to, especially if you're in a playoff race, you don't pick up Derek Hall because you think he'll be really good in late September. You pick mm-hmm. up Derek Hall because he's really good right now, and you could use some power. Right, right. You, right. you don't need to worry. Yeah, I really don't even want to hear people giving me too many like, "Who do you like better, rest of season?" Because it's kind of now like it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> right now you're fighting for your play unless you're fighting unless you're not having to fight for your playoff like, like many of us are, um, or trying to secure a buy or whatever. You almost care more about the immediate future, the next two to three weeks, or heck, if you really want to manage, you only care about series to series, right? I'm really not looking out much past two or three weeks when I'm looking at players of Derek Hall's caliber, right? Mm. These guys on the hitter list that are maybe like past like 100 and stuff like that. Look at the short term, right? We're going to already start doing that with pitchers. Uh, pretty soon, everything's going to be about what's the remaining schedule. But now, you know, for with hitters, you just focus on what's in the immediate future. You know, what, what you know, what's coming up. If Montero was staring down a, th- you know, two week road trip, I'd be a little less rosy on it, right? Of I mean, course. again, he's, yeah. he's hitting... He was hitting on the road, but so that, that matters. And with Derek Hall, I'll probably be looking when on the teams I have him, which isn't very many, I'm looking at that schedule, you know, on Yahoo, on ESPN, you can pull up the expected schedule. I'm looking at those pitchers. And if I see, you know, you don't see it much, but occasionally you'll run into three left-handers in a week. That's where I'm like, eh, you know, so especially if Hall is cooled down, that's when you start thinking about cutting it. I'm not saying cut him now. I don't want you to think about doing that now saying, when you want to think about Derek Hall, that's usually what's going on. Mm-hmm. Couple unfortunate matchups. Maybe he's got like an off. They're going to have an off day, and then two lefties on the mound against the Phillies, and he's been slumping. That's when you'll cut him. But of mm-hmm. course, that's not right now. Right, right now, he's hot and he's hitting. So keep him. Right. And the reason why I bring up uh, guys like uh, Michael Massey and uh, Elo Reese Montero. Uh, you know, just want to remind people that look, you know, you still got to work that waiver wire, and there's still going to be uh, ball players that are going to uh, present themselves as you know useful in your fantasy teams and have have some fantasy value. I just w- saw a little blip about uh, Josh Young. Remember him, J J U N G, third baseman for the Rangers. He's uh, beginning a uh, rehab assignment. Uh, with the, I think it was the Rangers Double uh, A team for now. So uh, keep uh, you know following the MLB news and uh, you know working the waiver wire hard. Uh, you had wanted to talk about Miguel Vargas. You said you got a lot of uh, traction in the uh, Reddit. Yeah, that AMA we do every Friday mm-hmm. with Vargas. I think there's a there's a couple lessons here. Number one, like it's re- we were talking about this before the show. It's really hard to hit your way into a lineup like the Dodgers. Right. Right. Like even with the numbers he was posting, you know, he was, he was doing well in triple a, he, you know, obviously came out and hit, you know, he hit really well. I mean, his very first game in, he gets two hits, he gets a double, he steals a base. Like there's, there's cool stuff there. And if he were to play the rest of the season, there's like, there's some interesting things. There's decent batting average There's some power. There's some speed, but, when you like, you can't just look at Miguel Vargas in a vacuum. You're thinking, okay, Miguel Vargas is here right now. What would make him leave? 
oh yeah, the fact that Justin Turner, who was just activated, is coming back, right? Chris Taylor coming back. It's hard for guys like Miguel Vargas to stay on the roster there because the the players he has to beat out to stay on that roster, there's, you know, people talk about, oh, he'll hit his way into the lineup, but not if he only gets two games, right? Like it takes a while to hit yourself into a lineup and this team did not pick up Joey Gallo not to use him. Mm-hmm. Right, like sure, you could argue that Miguel Vargas would be and more you know valuable on this I'm bench. Stop you when you talk about Joey Gallo. Ever since they got him, they're undefeated. <laughs> Joey, he's Gallo. the key. He's the key to the Dodgers winning a championship. When you want to talk about intangibles, you talk about the fact I forget exactly what the stat was, but they pulled up like what is you know the the record for teams when Joey Gallo is in their starting lineup, and it's like ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now it's a. It's a function of playing for the Yankees and Dodgers this season. Right. But, but you know, it, it's funny enough to look at. And obviously, he has not shown that he's really worth rostering. Um, he got to hit his first game, but he's already struck out a bunch of times. He uh, is what before. he is, unfortunately. Yeah, he, I mean, he just is. But that team is just more likely to put him in the lineup right now than Miguel Vargas. So Miguel Vargas gets sent down. And we're going to see players come up and have loud, splashy debuts or, you know, have a lot of potential. But really what you want to be looking at is why is this player up? Miguel Vargas was up to fill some injury holes. Mm-hmm. And once those holes got filled, but, you know, they got and they got made whole for guys like Chris Taylor and Justin, uh, Justin Turner. Turner. Mm-hmm. Like Miguel Vargas can't beat those guys out for a roster spot. Like mm-hmm. not be, not just because of talent and experience, but because locker room chemistry, so many things. That was never going to happen. So, you know, that, that stinks. And I'm not saying like, oh, always ignore these guys. It's just be very, very cognizant. Like just be, you know, another thing that came up about these Dodgers, we don't talk about pitching much, but I got a lot of questions about Dustin May, right? Mm -hmm. He's dominating in the minor leagues. He's, he's looking great, but they weren't going to, like they said, he gets, he needs two more rehab starts. Everyone's like, well, that means they're going to call him up sooner, right? Like they need Dustin May now that Clayton Kershaw hit the IL. They got to bring up May now. And that's just not what's going to happen. Turns out the Dodgers are like, a bazillion games ahead of the Padres right now. It's it's double digit games ahead of the Padres. They, They're starting pitching this weekend. Didn't give up an earned run to the Padres. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. And then when you look at the fact that the no Dodgers didn't get, Bueller, no no Kershaw. <laughs> yeah, and the Dodgers had two games off this week, right? So they can actually keep a a four man rotation until like sometime in the middle of next week, right? So that like, and then if they need another spot start, they've got other guys in the minors. They've got like Ryan Pepio, right? Like he's, he's mm-hmm. out there. He can be a spot starter. The The Dodgers are a team where you really have to think another thing to think about is just that team context. You know what they don't do? Rush guys along, right? They had no issue sending Miguel Vargas down, just like they mm-hmm. never had any issue sending when he was a top prospect, Gavin Lux down. Right. Right. And they don't have to, cause they keep on winning. Yeah. They don't have to rush these guys. No, they don't. And it's the same thing with their pitching, right? It's Dodgeritis just on a different scale. It they're slow to bring back guys from injury and they're slow to bring up guys who are developing because they just mm-hmm. don't need to. Because they can they can compete for a World Series without them. So they do. And that's just right. the way it is. And it's unfortunate because I want to see Dustin May back sooner, but this team is going to be patient. And I would definitely take them at their word if they say he's going to need more time because they've got no reason to to lie about it. They right. they are just slow bringing players up and it stinks because I'd love to see these guys playing, but you just have to think it's really important to think about, especially when you're playing for your playoff life and you're, you know, you're week to week in some of these leagues, be careful of picking up. Like 
you know, picking up Dustin May is a good idea if he's still available because he's going to be up pretty soon. But don't like, you know, don't get ahead of yourself thinking he's going to be activated just because a guy got hurt. The Dodgers will go out of their way to make sure they don't have to call up a guy coming from injury or being developed sooner than they have to. Right. Um, speaking pitching, um, Drew Rasmussen, starting pitcher for the Rays, removed from his Sunday start after three perfect innings against your Tigers. Uh, and conventional wisdom is that, you know, maybe the Rays are managing his innings. And he was recently on the IL. So um, that that's an issue, I think, that not just specifically with him, uh, that fantasy managers have to take into consideration as well with some of the young pitchers that they they roster. Yeah, I mean, Rasmussen brings it up. We've already talked about guys like Logan Gilbert being limited uh, and just be- being managed for the rest of the season. You're also going to see guys like, you know, it's going to start coming up for guys who are injury prone, mm-hmm. like Pablo Lopez over in Miami. You're yeah, going to start seeing this. I-, I would say there's two things. Number one, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, right? Like if you've got Pablo Lopez, you don't need to do anything right now. Right, like you might want to bench him for now because he isn't pitching well. No, yeah, but but you're not you're not worried about the innings cap yet, mm-hmm. right? Generally, we're going to start seeing it pick up, but really not until probably like a little after mid uh, mid August, but really into September. And there's more than one ways that teams limit innings, right? They don't just bench guys; they'll skip starts or they'll they'll stretch out and they'll move, you know, they'll have this guy go every sixth day, seventh day, eighth day. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll keep starting him. Like we might see with Rasmussen. We don't know yet. Uh, you know, the decision they gave us was a baseball decision and they did win that game seven to nothing. Right. right. It's not like, it's not like they, they didn't really need him. Right. They probably felt pretty good with their bullpen against the Tigers team that can't hit righties to save their lives. But mm-hmm. what, what you do have to just think about is one, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't be like, Oh, well now that he's on an innings cap, I got to trade him. Cause guess what? Most people in your league know how to use Google. And if there's any story out there about a guy having an it's innings not cap, to use Bing, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, what's going to happen is people aren't going to want to trade. So don't get desperate just because a lot of trade deadlines are coming up. Don't sell him for, you know, don't trade him for pennies on the dollar, so to speak, just because he has an innings limit. Cause he might still be very valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. You might, I mean, we'll, we'll see, but if, if his next start, he goes five, six innings, like you're going to feel pretty silly for, for forcing yourself to do something with him. But mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a sub three ERA. Like even if he doesn't give you many innings, like you probably, especially in head to head leagues, you might still have use for a guy that throws six innings in a week because he gets shorter starts, right? Like mm. these kinds of things can happen. So just be patient a little bit until you have a better idea of what's coming. And then when guys are on innings limits, that's when you really have to flip your philosophy and it's okay to cut them, right? Mm. Like you really want to think about, I mean, a tool, even if you're not good at projecting, at least go over to, go over to fan graphs. They, they do a great job presenting their, um, you know, their projections for rest of season and just look at the range of innings pitched left, Right. Just look at those. That'll give you some idea of what a you know how many innings a player might pitch. I mean, it's not as though he didn't pitch at all in 2021, right? I mean, he did. He probably threw a combined like yeah 76 innings last season. Uh, and that doesn't include AAA, right? So you get up to 80. He's only at 90 now. I do think he'll probably get another 30 to 50 innings, right? Depending on how well those starts go and how taxed he is in those. So that's still plenty. 
right? That's still funny. Don't don't panic. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a great tool that you just mentioned. And sometimes I'll just look myself and see, well, this guy pitched, um, you know, 110 innings last season, tack on another 30 or so. I could see him going, to, you know, up to 140, 150. But, um, hey, it's it's time, Scott, I, I, for you to tout your Tigers. Matt Manning doing pretty well since uh, coming off the IL, had uh, start on the second and the seventh. Um, his last start, seven innings against the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, pitched a, a shutout for seven innings with seven strikeouts. Should we get excited? Well, I mean, maybe. Come on, these are your Tigers. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So, home, like, with Matt Manning, the strikeouts haven't really been where we want to see yet in the majors, but it is worth noting that very smart people, several of them, ranked him as the best Tigers pitching prospect back in 2020, 2021, right? Like, really excited about Matt Manning. They thought he could be better than Mize, better than Scooble. He's not there right now, but I mean, the kid's got, he's got a good fastball. I think the breakers are, are pretty well developed. He was a top 15 prospect uh, in, in a lot of places because he had just performed really well. Now, again, in the majors, hasn't been great, but this season, better. And I, what I love seeing last, you know, that start against Tampa Bay, the huge thing about that, which you pointed out, are those strikeouts, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't care if he gets hit around a little bit. He hasn't had, he hasn't been hit around much this season, but that's only because he hasn't played. He's got four starts in the majors. But keep watching the strikeouts. Once he starts consistently getting strikeouts, I think we could really see a pitcher who is, Who's you like? Who's quite valuable for fantasy as someone who could maybe be ranked in like the middle of the pitcher list, right? Like somewhere in like forty to sixty to seventy. At some point, that's probably going to happen during next season. Not yet, but there's a lot of promise there, and he's worth streaming. He's still going to get more games against Kansas City. He's going to get more games against the Guardians, who just aren't very good. Um, like they win games, but they don't win by a ton of runs. Right. There's going to be chances for him to have good starts. I think he's a good spot starter for now. Uh, but just be really careful with what matchups you use him in. Hmm. Um, another pitcher that maybe just, you know, take a look to see if he's available. Um, he's owned or rostered, I should say, in 57% of Yahoo League. So I guess uh, because Yahoo has the uh, the IL spot, they held on to him. But Jesus Luzardo um, for the Marlins has been pitching well. Last two starts, a total of 12 innings pitched. 11 strikeouts, just one walk uh, for a 1.5 ERA. So if he's around, it wouldn't hurt to just, you know, pick him up and uh, stash him or actually start him now. I mean, I'm a huge Jesus Lazardo fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved him even when he was with the A's and disappointing us. Yeah. Uh, he's even better in the pitching factory known as Miami with Lazardo. First of all, uh, a lot of leagues, you know, some of your league mates have checked out. There's a reason that there's no reason if everyone was paying attention, Jesus Lazardo would not be available in 70% of ESPN leagues. Mm-hmm. Right. That just wouldn't be the case, but it is right now. Cause a lot of people aren't paying attention, right? Like don't just assume because everyone in podcasts is talking about a guy that he's not available in your league. He mm-hmm. just might be right. Like not everyone in your league does listen to every baseball podcast. Not everyone in your league does, you know, read a bunch of baseball articles. If you're doing that, like this is the advantage you get to check, right? Mm-hmm. If for some reason, Jesus Cesardo is taken, he's only available in about 40% of Yahoo leagues. But if he is available, you got to get him because Yes, beating up on the Cubs is pretty easy right now. They've been one of the worst offenses in baseball since the All-Star break. But still, there's 
I mean, there's a lot of strikeout upside in here. Um, he may not always go seven innings, but I do think he'll strike out five to seven times, five to seven guys every time he starts. Cause as long as he goes five innings, he can do that easily. Yep. So with Lazardo, it's all about the strikeouts. I think the ratios will also be pretty good. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. Um, if anything, he's been too hittable. He's hitting the, he hit the zone too much, uh, before. So it's not like he has wild command problems. He just is, you know, too much in the zone. I think Miami knows how to fix that because they, you know, they just don't have very many pitchers with that problem in Miami because mm-hmm. the way they develop. So, I mean, it was a great landing spot for, for Lazardo. Um, he's, he may be available, especially in ESPN leagues for some reason. And yeah, he should be rostered in all 12 team leagues right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a break right here. Quick one. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the way too early mock draft that was uh, organized by Austin Bristow, the second that uh, Scott and I participated in 12 teamer standard head to head league uh, and five by five categories. So we'll be right back to talk about our too early mock draft right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, and we're back. Joe Galina and Scott Chu, Hacks and Jacks Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Before we took our quick break, we teased uh, the fact that uh, Scott and I were involved in a uh, 12-team mock draft that was organized by Austin Bristow II. Uh, you could see our write-ups on it on uh, PitcherList.com. Uh, nice article. Each of us uh, wrote a little blurb about what it was like uh, being in the mock and, and the picks that we made. Uh, and from a personal level, Scott, and I, we kind of mentioned this because it was a slow draft and we were uh, drafting the last time that we we mo- uh, we uh, podcasted together. And it was kind of it, it's weird kind of doing this kind of a draft without the benefit of, first of all, a full season's stats. Second of all, just, you know, no um, lists of or consensus, consensus lists of ADPs. You're kind of going on it, uh, you know, uh, on your own, almost like, a, you know, flying a trapeze without a net. You really are. One of the ways to use something like this isn't to necessarily assess what drafts will look like next year, right? It's more about uh, getting a feel for depth in various parts of the draft and also sort of seeing like how high might like how high are some people on some players? Like you can see that that Jake Mesh and our, you know, from pitcher list must be real high on how Alejandro Kirk and isn't that phased by the recent slump, mm-hmm. right? He he was willing to take him in the fifth round. Now he may like you may if you may, 
if you really pushed him, you might say, yeah, I guess I would have liked some of these guys that got picked after, but you know, I was thinking he had Alejandro Kirk on the brain. Right. And the, you know, the same, you know, at the same token, I picked Trevor story in the sixth round is my last pick thinking, you know, coming into this year, I valued him much higher than this. And Hey, if he has a hot September, like we saw him be hot earlier this year, this pick makes a lot of sense. Of course, right now it looks like my most regrettable pick because he just continues to look terrible. But with these, for me, it was all about thinking of depth and man, the first two, even three rounds of drafts are so deep. There are yeah. so many good players available even in the third. I mean, the first pick of the third round is Bobby Witt Jr., mm-hmm. right? Mike Trout, Jake DeGrom, right? Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson. These are third round picks that feel like they should be earlier than that. But mm. when you look at the board, they don't need like they're not earlier than that. Right. Right. Because the first two rounds are just loaded. Yeah, let's take like, a look the, first, the, the last list. three picks of the second round. Austin <laughs> Riley, Kyle Tucker, Lewis Robert. Yeah, so let's just take a, a try to do this quickly without boring our uh, uh, listeners. But uh, first six picks Shohei Otani, number one overall. You had the second pick. You picked uh, Jose Ramirez. Uh, great pick, obviously, having an incredible year. And third base has typically been a little bit of a shallow position. Third pick, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Aaron Judge making a jump, right, as the fourth overall pick. Vlad Guerrero Jr. as the fifth overall. And Shelly V picked a uh, uh, great pick in, in Trey Turner, uh, first shortstop, second baseman off the board. And we know what he could do. But uh, uh, any surprises here at all? No, right? No, I mean, there's arguments to be made. So in this draft, Shohei Otani goes first because Shohei Otani is eligible at both DH and starting pitcher. And in every league where Shohei Otani is eligible at both, he is the consensus number one. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone that says otherwise is ve- trying very hard to be contrarian mm-hmm. because it's so hard to even wrap your head around the value of a guy who is two things in one roster spot, right? You get to have Shohei Otani and another pitcher or hitter with you know with two roster spots you're functionally getting three players with two roster spots that's that's really hard to conceptualize that value but yeah he's a combined player so he's i mean he's first overall every time right. and you know all year i've ranked jose ramirez as my number one hitter uh i mean really i've been doing that for quite some time i had to take him there but no surprises except again the depth right mm. the depth trey turner going in the middle of the first round He's having a good season, and as early as 2022 drafts, he was a consideration for a top three pick. He still is, right? You can shuffle up almost everything besides Shohei Otani and probably feel fine about it. Right. Juan Soto going seventh, uh, which, you know, in preseason drafts, he was going, you know, top four. Um, Eighth pick, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, I I know... his injury history doesn't scare you, uh, what's so, uh, you know, that doesn't bother you or whatnot. Um, but Corbin Burns went ninth. Jordan Alvarez, who I was hoping, I picked 12th. I hope, I was hoping to get Jordan Alvarez. I love Jordan Alvarez uh, for next year's drafts. Um, he went 10th, 11th. Julio Rodriguez making it all the way, all the way to the first round. Um, that, that, I'll be honest with you, that, 
when I I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, this guy could hit 25 home runs and steal 35 bases and, you know, probably bat 280 next season. Yeah, I, I, I guess he is a first rounder. Yeah, he is. And, you know, a little news on him. He's going to be activated later this week, uh, probably for the weekend series. And, you know, if while we did this draft while he was on the IL, mm-hmm. but if we if you do another too early mock like four weeks from now and Julio Rodriguez looks like the hot Julio Rodriguez we saw when he went down, mm-hmm. like he probably goes even earlier. Because yeah. someone's going to want that insane upside, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's still carrying a strikeout rate on the season of 27.2%, but first 96 games. So, you know, he's already got 18 home runs and 21 stolen bases, right? He's hitting 271. And that's despite the fact of having this 27.2% strikeout rate, which is actually quite bloated because he fixed the strikeout rate considerably yes, since he did. then, right? So like, cause like since July 1st, it's only a 22.9% strikeout rate. Like that, those five points are a big deal, right? So with Julio Rodriguez, I think he could even somehow move up. Although again, these first couple of rounds are so loaded that you're mm-hmm. kind of like, where do you move him to? Right. Right. I mean, Juan Soto goes sixth. This, I believe that pick happened seventh. before he was traded, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, seventh. But, mm-hmm. but even then, like, could you flip him? With Ronald Acuna Jr., you totally could, mm-hmm. right? Julio Rodriguez probably doesn't go top three, top four, but I mean, really, you start getting to Trey Turner, and you're like, okay, Trey Turner, he's really good, but like Julio Rodriguez can do that too, right? Like <laughs> Julio Rodriguez is is that kind of player. I mean, again, I can't say it enough. If this too early mock did nothing else, it showed you that early drafts are going to be super deep. And where you pick in a draft, unless, you know, specifically you want Shohei Otani, it's not really going to matter. You're going to end up with two really, really good players. Mm -hmm. One of the few things I got right this so far this season was I was like a couple of rounds early in taking Julio Rodriguez in a couple of drafts. And uh, I just loved what he what he did in the minor leagues. Every time he was promoted, it didn't phase him. He still put up big numbers. But uh, my pick was 12th, uh, so I had two picks. Bryce Harper, you tend to forget about him, right? But, you know, he really has settled into Philadelphia. Past couple seasons, uh, batting over 300, you know, 30, 35 home run potential. And even they'll give you, you know, 10 to 15 steals. Uh, and then I followed that pick up with uh, Rafael Devers. Um, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, third base position, a little shallower. And Devers is another guy that could hit anywhere from 280 to 300 and uh, hit 35 home runs to knock in 100 RBI. Um, so that was pick 13, um, 14th pick. We're in the second round, moving backwards now. Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt having an MVP caliber year, man. And the one story that I remember about Paul Goldschmidt in preseason, Scott, was that he he went to this uh, uh, this independent company and they made him like a, a custom bat or something. Though so they made him a, a series of of custom bats, and he was a great hitter to start off with. But I, you know, that, that just stuck in my mind uh, about Goldschmidt. And then you have Freddie Freeman. That's uh, 13, 14, 15, 16th pick is Freddie Freeman. 17th pick, uh, Shane McClanahan. Uh, 18th pick, Sandy Alcantara. I think, you know, first, I do want to say I, I thought the Bryce Harper pick was great. 
This year has been unlucky and it stinks that he's still, you know, he's actually trending a little behind in his recovery right now. We may not see him till like the last week of August, maybe not even until like the start of September. But, you know, I think you still have to stash him in just about every league mm-hmm. because he's going to be really good when he comes back. Oh, and yeah. as much as it felt like he's been injury prone throughout his career, the last three or four seasons, he just hasn't been. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been playing all season for, you know, probably three or four consecutive seasons until this year. So, so that stinks. But yeah, like what, what was almost crazy to me, if you told me coming into the year that three pitchers could arguably be taken ahead of Garrett Cole, that mm-hmm. blow my mind. That is interesting. Yes. He's uh, going a whole round later than yeah. he would have last season. And it's not like he's been bad. Right. Well, he hasn't been, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been lights out. He hasn't been Scherzer. He hasn't been what DeGrom did uh, this past Sunday. Uh, He got beat up by uh, the Mariners in his last start. Um, He's still striking out a ton of of players, uh, but he has had, you know, he hasn't been 100% lights out, uh, you know, if you watch him pitch uh, every day. And then you still think back to what happened when he faced the Red Sox uh, in the playoffs uh, last season. So, but it is interesting to see him last well into the second round. Yeah. And I mean, coming into the month of July, and I'm not saying you should just like, you know, just get rid of his bad months, but coming into the month of July, he had a 2.99 ERA and looked very much, you know, Garrett Cole, like, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, except for that one five home run game that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, he is giving up the gopher ball a little more than we'd like. And, Gave up three against the Mariners in his last start. Yeah. You know, settled down, but. Yeah. But like, that's, that's the depth of this draft. Garrett Cole is still Garrett Cole, right? This is still, you know, elite upside and Max Scherzer doesn't even get taken yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of good pitchers still on the board. He's the third pitcher. Like, no, fourth. He's the, he's the fourth pitcher to go off the board. Cause again, we're seeing this incredible depth at the top of the league right now. Mm-hmm. where there's not these clear tier breaks that happen in the first two or three rounds. Like there are tier breaks that you can make, but they're not as clean as in years past, right? Like even as recently as two or three years ago, we'd say like, if you don't get a pick in the top four or five, go to the end of the draft mm-hmm. because the talent doesn't change between six and 12. But like now the talent doesn't like the difference between one and five and then five and eight and then eight and 12. It's just not that different right now. Because there's just a lot of depth there. Yep. Uh, yeah. So uh, pick number 19, Manny Machado. We spoke about Garrett Cole at pick 20. Pete Alonso, 40 to 50 home run potential uh, at pick 21. Pick 22, Austin Riley, just uh, you know coming into his own, signed to a real long-term contract by the Braves. Uh, pick 23 was made by you, Kyle Tucker. I know that you're big on Kyle Tucker. Um, Having a little bit of an off year when it comes to batting average, and I think that the batting average that he's showing now is probably more what he's likely to hit. You know, I think last year he batted somewhere in the two nineties. You know, he might be maybe a two sixty to two seventy five hitter in my opinion, but still gives you you know plenty of home runs and and stolen bases. And then the second round finished off with Luis Robert. Yeah, and you know Kyle Tucker, I think if he has an even okay month. You know, he, he has, his batting average has really been an issue. Um, he's not putting up quite the stats you'd hope, but the plate discipline still looks great. So mm-hmm. he's just slumping a little right now. Uh, 
I think, you know, really even since the start of July, again, he's only hitting 211, but the strikeout to walk ratio is fantastic. Uh, he's still hitting for some power. He's stealing a couple bases. You know, he'll turn it around, and I think he'll be he'll be a guy that might get drafted a little earlier than this next year. Uh, but again, it's hard to say how, right? Like Kyle Tucker, you know, you'd say like, oh, well, Kyle Tucker has top ten player upside. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But how much better is Kyle Tucker than Manny Machado? How much better is Kyle Tucker than you know than any you know any of these guys? Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonso, like. There's real arguments for these guys because I'm not going to stop saying it. The depth is unreal. Yeah. The, the, you get first round, you're going to get back end first round caliber players at the back of the second round. Start of the third round even, right? Like guys that you would have considered in the middle of second round are now third, fourth round picks because that kind of depth is happening at the top. Now, when you were drafting, were you conscious of trying to set an ADP for 2023 season, or were you trying to draft a team based on, well, you know, I have, you know, went third base, my first pick and, you know, now I want to get my outfielder and then I'm going to go for my pitchers. I love being nerdy and talking about draft strategy in August. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) the problem with trying to have too much draft strategy in one of these too early mocks, you know, Justin Mason will probably do his too early mocks again. Um, probably sometime next month or maybe, you know, around, you know, around the time of the Arizona fall league, something like that. Uh, it's hard to try to set ADP because we're not all using the same player pool. The beauty of having like knowing your format, you know, your sites, player pool, like Yahoo, ESPN, is you can start to get some idea of when guys are going to be willing to take players. Yes. People will jump off script, but often they're going to rank, like they're going to sort the players based on the ranks in the site, right? Either the pre ranks or, you know, projections or whatever. So, or they'll sort by ADP and, you know, because in a snake draft, you're trying to get the best player for that particular pick, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have a player, you might, your projections might say that Kyle Tucker is going to be better than Manny Machado. But if the ADP shows that Manny Machado goes, you know, quite a while after Kyle Tucker, then you take Tucker first, even though you think Machado's better, right? Like that's just a little bit of game, you know, a little bit of the, the strategy you're working with. With a too early mock, we don't have that. We have no idea where other people are ranking guys, mm-hmm. right? So it's a real free-for-all and it forces you to pick players just based on who you think is best, which you'd think is our normal draft strategy, but it just isn't, right? Like there are guys that we take in the 10th round more than we like, like more, and we like them more than our eighth round pick. And that's because you had, like you wanted this closer and they go early. So you take them early, right? Mm-hmm. Even though you like this other guy better, it, it's hard. You can't really do that in here. So you get a good sense of players that, especially towards the end of this draft, you get a sense of players that people are really willing to take risks on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the next round had several players that were really hard to value for next season. Right. 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 Uh, you know, the next round starts really with Bobby Witt Jr., the second, um, other than Julio Rodriguez, the second rookie taken. Uh, shortstop, obviously, for the Royals. Uh, it's kind of interesting now when you look at the juxtaposition. You have real young Bobby Wood Jr. and senior citizen Max Scherzer taken by you with the next pick. Right? I was thrilled to get Scherzer there, by the way, mm-hmm. especially in shallower leagues like this. I knew I'd be taking some, you know, two, probably two more pitchers in this draft uh, just because I went two hitters early. So I was going to need some pitching depth. But when you drafting Max Scherzer uh, and you know, to a lesser extent, a guy that's taken later this round, 
like it's okay to know you're not getting 160 innings, mm-hmm. right? Because 120 elite innings, especially in a you know in a 12 team league where there's decent replacement levels out there, go get the quality of inning, right? If he misses, you know, if he misses all of May, who cares, right? Because he's Max Scherzer all the other times, especially in a head to head format where he's winning you matchups every single week, right? Like every week he's active, he's winning you matchups because he's that good. So, you know, I was, I was really thrilled to make that pick in the third round. Like that, that is my ace. Yep. Byron Buxton was taken with the third pick in the third round. A little early, you think? I mean, this is the first season that he's really been healthy. Thankfully, uh, I was just looking at his stats, batting 219, plenty of home runs, 26 home runs. Uh, stolen bases are a lot less than we'd like to see. He only has three. You think that uh, jumped the gun? Oh, let's see who made the Should we say who made that pick? Uh, Estavo Maximo. Yeah. So here's the thing with the Buxton pick. It's that like it's really hard not to be super excited about this guy's upside. Mm-hmm. 82 games. So you know, just about half a season, 26 home runs, despite the fact that, you know, he's striking out 30% of the time and only hitting 219. So like, we know there's more to this bat than this. Like we saw it last year. He only played 61 games, but he hit 306 and every bit of it was legit, Mm -hmm. right? Buxton isn't the big stolen base threat. And, you know, he's going to, you know, in five games, he'll have played more games in a single season than he has since 2017. But like what, what you have to know about Brian Buxton is like, he's going to play like 120 games, 125 games and hit like 30, almost 40 home runs. Mm -hmm. Right. So like there's, he's got, he's one of these guys. It's really hard to draft, like where to value this point in the season, because if he plays 120 games, you get a full season worth of stats, right? It's just like Max Scherzer this way. You can get a full season of stats in three quarters of a season. So where do you rank that? Right. And the, the more shallow the league, the more you can push them up your board versus mm-hmm. a 15 team with five outfielders that that gaping hole that Byron Buxton is going to leave in your lineup for 30 games is really hard to fill. Right. I mean, it's the same same issue that Bristow has later this, you know, later this round with Mike Trout. Right. We just yep. don't know how often like, you know, what will change Byron Buxton's draft value a lot is just being healthy the rest of this season. When we finally see a triple digit number in games played, that's going to that's going to matter, right? That's going to alter projections for him cuz playing time is really hard to project. So, you know, another guy taken in this round, Ozzy Albies, right? He's got double risk, right? Because is he going to be healthy probably, but then will he not stink cuz he was not good before he went down. Hmm. Right? So, like there's so much risk that you have to try to analyze at this point in the draft and it's just a what you will see, like, yes, Byron Buxton probably taken a little early, but not indefensible, right? And right. there's so many realities where he has a hot month. He hit ten, he hits 10 home runs in September, which is far from improbable, right? Like, it's very plausible he could do that. And all of a sudden, he's got, you know, we look at the stat sheet and say, oh, look at that, 40 home runs in 120 games. Yeah. Like then I'm still a little disappointed in the stolen bases. And I know you say he's not really a stolen base guy. I think at one point he had 29 one season. If you look at his 162 game average, it's it's 21. Look, he's getting a little older. He's 28 years old. Uh, uh, you know, fair to say he's been injury prone for his career. Um, I'd like to see a few more stolen bases out of him. But um, 
but we'll see. Let's let's move on a little bit. Uh, he was the twenty seventh pick overall, twenty eighth pick overall. Max Fried, you uh, talked about Ozzy Albies at twenty ninth. Alec Manoa, the thirtieth pick, um, six pick in the third round. I really wanted him. Uh, I think that uh, he's just gonna he's gonna end up maybe even next season in uh, you know Degrom and Scherzer territory in terms of of production um but the next pick specifically which was austin bristos uh the second his pick uh mike trout with the seventh pick in the third round um you know some some uh comments were made uh this was on reddit and that that they were afraid some people were afraid of uh, using a third round pick on mike trout this new diagnosis uh, of the the spinal injuries you know he, he's going to be back supposedly uh but it's a rare back condition but leading up to this draft and he's on the il now 270 24 home runs uh 51 rbi no stolen bases which we know he's not going to run anymore, but that's through 79 games. So uh, a little trepidation on people who are viewing this draft. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I get it. But, you know, Mike Trout, the Millville Meteor, he, I mean, he came out and talked about this diagnosis and he says, look, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. Like, yeah, it is, but like, that's what like he, people do. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he, he kind of said, like, you know, it's not like he needs some kind of like crazy surgery that's experimental. Mm -hmm. He just is going to have to manage it. Right. And like guys can manage injury. Clayton Kershaw has had back issues for years and like, no, he doesn't play full seasons anymore, but you tell me he's not a useful fantasy player, right? Like he manages a condition, right? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it can go wrong. We see, we've seen guys like Christian Yelich really struggle to manage some of these conditions and maybe that's having an impact on his ability to get the ball in the air. Take a look right? at Don Manley's career too, but go ahead. I know right, he's an older player. Right. But the thing is, we don't know when that fall off is going to start happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mike, again, this is another example of, especially in a 12 team league, Mike Trout for, I mean, look, what is he? He's played 79 games about half a season mm -hmm. um, and he's got 24 home runs. How many games does he need to get to 30? Right. A hundred. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And what if you get a 120 game season out of Mike Trout? That means he misses a month and a half of action. You still get 120 games and he can still be a 35 home run player. Yeah. Or even if he comes back, like you said, let's say if he really stays out until September 1st, he could still hit 30 home runs. You tell me he can't hit six home runs if he's healthy in the month of September. Come on. I mean, and it's not like this sudden rare back condition just appeared. Mm -hmm. He's been dealing with it. It's just a recent diagnosis, right? The condition isn't new. Mm -hmm. But in the end, well, when, when, but when you hear it described as a rare spinal disease, that kind of scares you. And it depends on your tolerance for risk. That's it. I mean, you know, uh, I don't think we could say that, look, you know, he's a lock for 35 home runs and a 290 batting average every season. He probably can and will put up those kind of numbers. But look, he's got a condition that he needs to manage for the rest of his career. This doesn't just go away. So uh, I can understand uh, being a little nervous about it. Um, That's so a great risk point, Joe, because you know when you look at this draft, 
Part of what you're also trying to practice in these early mocks is roster construction. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons Austin's able to make that Mike Trout pick is number one, he probably doesn't think Mike Trout will make it back to him. Number two, he took Juan Soto and Sandy Alcantara already. Two very safe playing time. Very, yes. Right? Super safe. So he can take that one risk. And then, you know, obviously Tim Anderson hadn't hurt himself yet. And I don't want to give away the Tiger, but he takes Tim Anderson and Cattell Marte, two guys that do play a lot. Right. right. Even if I don't love the Cattell Marte pick, he's covering, he is outfield eligible and he is covering for a lot of that risk. Mm-hmm. He was willing to take that risk because almost certainly Austin felt comfortable with the fact that he already taken very safe picks and that he had more safe picks he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Great point. Uh, eighth pick of the third round, Matt Olson. Ninth pick, Carlos Rodon, who could be a, pro- a free agent at the end of the season. He could opt out. Dansby Swanson, I really wanted him. <laughs> right? uh, you just look at the numbers. You know, this is a former first round pick. Uh, he's in his upper 20s now, I think 27, 28 years old, really coming into his own. Uh, and then uh, Jacob deGrom with the 11th pick of the third round. You know, I love Jacob DeGrom, but I am risk averse. Uh, I'm probably going to stay away from Mike Trout uh, unless I could get him, you know, later than the third round. Uh, and I'm going to stay away from Jacob DeGrom, too, <laughs> just because, like I said, that's that's just me. You know, I, I, I'm like I said, I am risk averse, but I was very happy to pick up uh, Dylan Cease with the 12th pick of the third round. And like I said, I really wanted Dansby Swanson, uh, but. You know, and I, I've been one of Francisco Lindor's biggest uh, of uh, critics. But when you look at what he's done, even recently, I think he's batting like close to 400 for the past month. And, uh, you know, he's a 25 to 30 home run guy with, you know, 20 steal potential uh, to get him with the first pick in the fourth round. For me, it was a no brainer. He's really made, he's really given us a short memory because even as early as like, as well as recently as like May of this year, he was an absolute roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd be hot for two weeks, then be ice cold for two weeks. And then he was okay for two weeks. Like it was all over the place. And he's really been a high level player for, you know, for over a month now, which is great. But you know, with, as far as risk aversion goes again, you know, Anthony Tucker's the one who takes the Grom. What's tricky there is that he takes him as his ace. So, you know, he he's forcing himself to pick an, at least one, if not, you know, I might've even advised him to take two more pitchers this, you know, in this little six round set. And, Cause that's what I did when I took Scherzer, mm-hmm. but you know, Jacob deGrom going at the end of the third round. I mean, with the way he just looked in his last start, that's my, this might be the latest he goes in any draft for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, because again, we've seen him be a top, what top 15 pitcher in 110 innings. Like he ended the season as a top 15 pitcher, like borderline top 10 in 110 innings. And that's if you don't count in the replacement value of whatever you started while he was on the IL. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's insane. I mean, what he does when healthy, I mean, yes, there's a lot of ri- like risk is, a, is all entirely what this decision is, mm-hmm. but there's a reason you're willing to take the risk. And it's because you watched him pitch recently. Right. Right. The right. guys on, I mean, he's when he's on and healthy, he is on I mean, He just looks unhittable. Yep. Uh, so my pick was the 37th pick uh, of uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, Corey Seager, with the 38th pick, Zach Wheeler, 
39th pick overall. Jose Abreu, uh, 40th pick overall. That first base uh, position kind of dries up. Like it sneaks up on you the way it dries up. Um, but uh, so that is the 40th pick. 41st is Jazz Chisholm. Um, 42nd pick, Tim Anderson, Joe Musgrove. Um, let's see. What pick was he? 37, 38, 39, 44, 1, 42, 43rd, 44th, Tommy Edmond. Uh, and uh, Ethan got a little grief about his Tommy Edmond pick. Yeah, because he's kind of a, a one. I mean, he's he's more of just a steals guy. I it, it I'm not a huge fan of the pick, but I you know especially when you're looking at like roto leagues, I could see why you do it right because he's going to be a ten to fifteen home run, thirty stolen base guy, which is cool, right? Mm-hmm. And granted, he you know it's slowed. You know some of it is slowed down a bit lately, right? So that's the other thing. Like recency bias is going to be a big. Big deal, right? right? He's hitting 227 since the All-Star break with only two stolen bases. So, like, he's cold right now. The plate discipline is still good. That I mean, that's important. Guys will slump. Anyone can be good or bad for 50 plate appearances. And that's what you're seeing right now. He's struggling a little right now, but he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a versatile player. You can play him all over the middle infield. He might, you know, in some formats, he'll get some corner, you know, and he'll steal some bases for you. Exactly. Him. Anywhere between 20 and 30, and that's, I think, where he gets, you know, yeah. Most of his fantasy value. Um, after Tommy Edmund, Aaron Nola, Nolan Arenado having uh, himself a year. And then you went with Julio uh, Urias. So you uh, went Scherzer and then Urias. And uh, the fourth round was finished off with Xander Bogarts. Uh, when we were chatting, uh, I was a little surprised at how much his power has uh, tailed off so far this season, but still batting for high average. And uh, likely to opt out uh, as well. Um, and fifth round is opened up with Kyle Schwarber. Uh, again, super power hitter, just doesn't hit for average anymore. And then you went with Josh Hader with your fifth pick. Um, did you plan on, on, on taking a closer You know, this early? Not necessarily a closer, but like I said, when I took Max Scherzer, I said, I know I have to address my pitching risk, Mm -hmm. right? I was thrilled that Julio Urias was available at that time because what people are noticing is the velo is back up and he's been lights out. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, he's got, he's walking less than one per nine over his last five starts. um, And one of those is a two inning start, but his last four, if you just look at him, seven innings, six innings, seven innings, six innings. Given up a total of three earned runs across those starts, striking out plenty of guys. Uh, no home runs over his last three because the velo is back up. Uh, I mean, he's just doing everything you want to see. He looks as good, you know, almost as ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like the strikeouts aren't quite there, but this is a sub three ERA guy who I think by the end of the season will have another hundred, you know, another one hundred and sixty inning season, right? Yep. And that's huge, right? Like that makes all that risk with Max Scherzer is now like I'm mitigating a ton of it because I've got a real safe pick. And then with Josh Hader, I'm adding on more innings. He's going to throw, I, you know, obviously going to St. Louis or St. Louis, San Diego is huge. Uh, you know, my, one of my favorite guys, Mikey Ahedo has just re- recently written a piece that says maybe something's wrong with Josh Hader, but you know, even if he's right, uh, yeah, I'm taking on some risk there, but again, elite strikeouts, elite ratios, mitigating, risk from Scherzer, at least from a volume perspective. Right, right. Uh, 
Um, Bo Bichette went after Hayter, third pick in the fifth round. Uh, I was very high on Bichette to start the, the uh, season. Uh, seems to be warming up a little bit now. I think uh, over his last week or two, he's batting close to 300, but so far a little bit disappointed. Uh, DJ LeMahieu back to you know what he did a couple of seasons ago, except the home run power really hasn't returned, but getting on base, getting hits, uh, high batting average. He was the fourth pick in the fifth round. And Andres Jimenez um, having a real good year, but a, l- a little surprised to see him go this early. Yeah, I was really surprised because I mean, it's not a lot of loud stuff, but you know he will flirt with probably 2020 this season. I don't think he gets there. I think he falls just short of both. He's going to be something like 17, 17 or 18, 18, something like that. But he's a, you know, he's a high contact player. Um, his last 160 games, you know, what you're seeing is actually more of like a set. I think he's got 17 home runs and 23 steals. The batting average has looked so much better this year. Uh, so, so that's huge. I mean, he's a great, you know, he's a great versatile asset. I think, Again, this is maybe a little early for me, but like, what do I know? He that's that certainly looks like you know a, a certainly a decent pick at a position yeah. where we haven't seen very many of them go. Right, right. If you look at this draft board, second basemen just don't go early, especially now that we had so long without seeing Ozzy Albie's. Mm-hmm. Used to be that one second baseman that was up there. That's just not where he is right now. So I, Andres I mean, I Jimenez it. going before Brandon Lowe. Interesting, right? I know that Lowe has missed a ton of time this season uh, on the IL, but interesting to see that. Uh, fifth pick of the fifth round. And Shelly follows that up with uh, Marcus Simeon, who really got off to a disastrous start, but has been red hot for the past well over a month now. Not going to be a, a 40 home run guy anymore, in my opinion, but you know, a 25-20 guy. Going forward, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, this season it might even be better. To, I mean, it could be better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he could be, he could be twenty-five. I mean, twenty-five, twenty-five, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, another surge like we've seen. You know, a lot of these projections are sort of averaging out what he was a little earlier and a little later. If he keeps being this like you know crazy exceptional player that he's been, you know, what's what's really funny is his early season was so bad that his WRC plus is still under a hundred. Right, his batting average is still 240. His OBP is still under 300. His slugging is still under 400. Mm-hmm. That's how bad he was earlier this season. Um, so I think the closer we get to the end of the season and the further we get from the beginning of this season, the earlier he goes in drafts. Yeah. Um, next pick is the first catcher uh, off the board. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Next pick is Kevin Gaussman. That's the seventh pick of the fifth round. Then we get the first catcher, Alejandro Kirk, um, the eighth pick of the fifth round. Um, yeah, you know, uh, next catcher taken next round, Will Smith. What do you think about Kirk going as the first catcher overall? You know, I, in years past, we've all been very big on like, oh yeah, there's some catchers that are, you know, that, that matter more, right? Because there's like, we've had historic, you know, the last several years, we've had these like elite catchers at the top and then a big swath of nothing, right? But one, what I didn't love about this pick, like since the all-star break, Alejandro Kirk, he's got 59 plate appearances. The plate, the plate discipline is awesome. It's one-to-one with walks and strikeouts. I love that. What I don't love is a 220 batting average and a 300 slugging, 
right? He's got mm-hmm. one double, one home run, three runs, and three RBI, uh, despite hitting third the entire time for the Blue Jays. That means he's not making a you know he's not making enough good contact. I just I'm not super thrilled about that. And I think there's a big you know on my hitter list you'll find a big glut of catchers altogether, right? Like one of the high one of the guys rising the most on the hitter list when it comes out is Adley Rutschman because mm-hmm. he's been unbelievable in the second half, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's one of the best hitters of the second half. So I think the more good catchers that come up, it doesn't mean a bunch of catchers move up our draft boards. It actually helps us move catchers down because the replacement level for catcher gets higher and higher. The more of these catchers that break out, right? Like why spend an early round pick on him when you can stream guys like Jonah Heim all year long, mm. right? Like catcher streaming is just so it's much more viable now than it's been in recent history. And the top tier of catching is now not, it used to be one or two guys, right? JT Real Muto and Will Smith. JT Real Muto, Will Smith. And for a little while, there was like when Gary Sanchez was good, there was an argument that he was a top two or three catcher and you needed his power. But there's a bunch of catchers who can hit now, Mm -hmm. even with right Yasmani Grandal being an absolute afterthought in fantasy. Keeper Ruiz from the Nationals, too. You said all one today? Yeah, he had two. Oh God. Yeah. So, and he's a guy who I think has a great hit tool that I think really Mm -hmm. could develop. And you know, maybe next year's his year. I think he'll be a sleeper next year for sure. Mm -hmm. But like, there's a lot of sleeper, but he's going to be highly sought after. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, with, with this, you know, in a two catcher league, this makes a little more sense. I don't hate valuing Alejandro Kirk as the number one catcher, especially because he hits third right now for the blue Jays. But again, there's there, because there's so many good catchers, I feel like the drop between picking one this stage in the draft and picking one seven rounds later, I just don't think you're going to see the drop there that you've seen in recent years. And because of that, it, it's not that I don't like the pick of Kirk. It's that I don't think you need to address catcher early anymore. Right. So Kirk, eighth pick of the fifth round, followed that up with Jose Altuve, uh, Starling Marte, uh, Brandon Woodruff. And then I took uh, my second pitcher, and I want to try to make sure that I get uh, someone uh, with a high strikeout potential. Uh, picked up uh, the veteran Yu Darvish, who, I mean, in my opinion, you got to like what he's been doing now, and also just with the uh, upgrades that the Padres have made. So I, I would think that he's going to have a nice season next year as well, as long as he stays healthy. And like I said, first base dries up a little bit. Uh, my uh, last pick, my sixth pick, which is the first pick of the sixth round, Josh Bell. And we follow that up with Will Smith, the second catcher taken, second uh, pick of the sixth round. Cedric Mullins with the third pick of the sixth round. J.D. Martinez, another guy. Uh, last I looked, he was sitting for decent average, but again, another guy whose power has kind of waned this season, no? Yeah. I mean, it has, and that's a bummer, you know, uh, but it's, it's one of these things where I, I just believe so much in how good of basically a hitting coach he is that I think that there's, you know, he's practically a hitting coach. I think that there's something there. We've seen him struggle before for extended times, JD Martinez. So he'll be fine. I Mm -hmm. do think he'll eventually be fine, but that's, what's hard about making these picks at this stage because a hot September for a lot of these players really changes their draft value. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think that you just want it the way I say it, but it, it absolutely does because what we see in September tends to feel a little more meaningful than what we saw the previous March, right? Like you Darvish right now on the season, 
his uh, his K per nine, which is a flawed stat for several reasons. It can be easily inflated and deflated. But with you, Darvish, it looks like it's under a strikeout and inning this season. You're like, oh, what's up with that? Well, since July 1st, it's like 11 and a half, 12 guys mm-hmm. per nine, right? Um, and Which even since more, yeah, what he's yeah, it's over a batter more, inning yeah. since June 1st, right? Mm-hmm. Because rolling charts do a really good job telling that kind of story. He did have a little bit of a strikeout law, but then when you look, he's back on the upswing on that rolling strikeout rate because he's, he's just finding that. So uh, I, th- I thought the U Darvish pick was a great pick because again, we're, we're all kind of like a little, a little at a disadvantage because sometimes all we can see, like all we have time to look at is the full season stat, which just mm-hmm. isn't a great story. It's right. an overall outcome. It's an averaging, but it gets rid of a lot of the most useful information, which was what was, you know, what were, what were the peaks? What were the valleys? How long did they last? Right. 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 I mean, you can just, I mean, even when you look at Trevor story, the few good things in his stat line right now come from two weeks, two amazing weeks. Yep. And that's it. Right. And like, I'm hoping that he has another two amazing weeks like that. And that's all he needs to level out uh, the season because that, you know, he's my last, picking this draft but like he had seven home runs in, in that uh two week span might have yeah. been one week where he he hit those seven home runs yeah, I think he had one game where he hit three home runs yeah he's he's just got that kind of upside but mm-hmm. I, I thought a lot of the picks here in this range were you know were pretty pretty stable pretty safe i was a little worried about starling Marte. he's not stealing bases at all like what we saw in oakland because nobody can mm-hmm. his pace in oakland was unbelievable when you like again looking at his rolling charts or looking at his splits you'll see that like his stolen bases come in big bunches and he's just not running as much right now so that really hampers his value uh so i think it'll be interesting to see how projections play that out because that's the other thing we don't have the advantage of there's only one projection system right now that has anything out for next season and it zips because they always do like three years coming up but it's not like they're fine-tuning it like constantly mm-hmm. right it's largely based on the last three seasons. So it's really hard to, you know, take too much from it. But Starling Marte is a guy who I think is going to be projected for more steals than he gets because his, you know, because of the history. But I think recent, you know, recently we're seeing something maybe a little more true. Uh, I also, you know, I think Josh Bell, your, you know, your other pick, that value can change a lot in a hurry over what happens over these last two months. Sure. Right. Because, there's a lot of realities where he this looks like a giant steal, mm-hmm. right? And there's other realities where this looks about right. I don't think it. I don't really think it gets much worse than this, uh, because like you said, first base is a cliff, and I think you got the last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I, I would say like that value could change a lot. He could move up one or two rounds just from having a hot month or two. And right. I know I keep repeating that, but like that's so important right now. When you're if you're thinking about, oh, I, this guy's a keeper for me next year. No, you mean he's probably, I mean, there's, yeah, the first three, four round guys, are probably all keepers. If you have some crazy value, like they're, you know, if Andre Simenez is a 26th round keeper for you like that, yeah, go ahead and write that in, right? Whether or not you can quibble with where Ethan took him in this draft. If you have him as like a 26th round keeper, like you're just keeping him. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys are going to see significant value changes in the next month. And Absolutely, it's yes. difficult to identify who they'll be. Mm-hmm. Could tell Marte could be one of them. Right. I think that Spencer Strider could definitely be one of them. Yeah, Spencer uh, Strider with the the fifth pick in the sixth round. Kettle Marte seventh pick of the sixth round. Edwin Diaz eighth pick of the sixth round. Usually, once Hader goes, Liam uh, Hendricks would go, but 
He's had his issues this year with injuries, and Diaz has just been amazing. Uh, and it hurts me to say that as a Yankee fan. Yeah, as a Yankee fan, I think I should be patted on the back. I took a Red Sox and I took a Met. How about that? We're all real proud of you, Joe. Thank but, you. Uh, <laughs> but with with Edwin Diaz, I think if we knew that he was like re-signing with the Mets or somebody good, which he probably will, but if we knew that for sure, I think he goes around earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt about it. But and he he goes wherever Hater goes, right? Or maybe even before he's been better, mm-hmm. right? Especially these last two seasons, he's been amazing. But yeah, but we fantasy managers creatures of habit. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think it's it's almost like automatic that Hater's going to go first. Yeah, just but because like if this is the floor, so be it. It's still mm-hmm. thirty saves. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we, you know, Edwin Diaz's floor is probably really safe. But as recently as three or four years ago, he did have times where he just totally fell off the wagon. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, we finish off the last five picks. So we've got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, Logan Gilbert, eighth pick of the sixth round. George Springer, ninth pick of the sixth round. Justin Verlander, I guess that that uh, Tommy John surgery gave him some, like a couple extra years of, <laughs> you know, Hall of Fame kind of numbers because he's having an amazing season. Uh, he went next. And then Scott Chute. You're Scott you, right? You took Trevor Story with the second to last pick in the sixth round. And then uh, Dolis Garcia uh, finished off the sixth round outfielder for the Rangers. Yeah, and every day I like my Trevor Story pick less and less, but so be it. Um, I actually really wanted Justin Verlander. I thought Esteval made a really nice pick there mm-hmm. because like, there's, it's not like they're going to baby the guy or right. rest his arm. They literally will like just he won't let them anyway. <laughs> no, he'll demand like to pitch until yeah. that arm falls off. Right, right, and he's doing so at at an elite level. He's maybe pitching a little above his head right now, but I I'd be happy to take that gamble anyway. Uh, Adolis Garcia is someone who's really interesting because last year he had a terrible second half, and he's mm-hmm. not off to a great start in this second half. But if he shows any signs of life, I mean, obviously the power and speed upside is you know it's elite, right? I mean, it's way up there. Like we talked about Andres Jimenez being a 2020 guy. We talked about Semyon being a 2025, a 25-25 guy. Like someone like Adolis Garcia, if you just he's going to have it feels like he's going to have a 30-30 season. This mm-hmm. one magical 30-30 season. It might come with like a 240 batting average, but who cares? Right. Right? Cuz he could still be 30-30 and the problem is like, you know, managing that's going to be a big pain in the butt, right? Brett Goldhammer didn't do himself a lot of favors getting two very streaky players at the end of his draft with Schwarber and Garcia, but um, I think he'll find a way to manage. Uh, you know, another thing in in this whole draft that I thought was interesting was we saw, you know, several teams had three outfielders. And I will say this, it shouldn't matter that much, but in a, ya- a standard Yahoo format where there are only three outfielders, yeah. it's you can easily justify taking three outfielders in your first six picks, but I'll tell you, it's actually pretty hard to construct your team very well that way mm-hmm. because like there's so many good outfielders available later on because after Agreed. we all fill our three infield spots, mm-hmm. we're not taking outfielders as often and there's right. still really good ones available late. So, and that did um, affect my drafting too. Great point. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it doesn't seem like it'd be much, but it's definitely a big deal. It's why I wasn't that concerned with only taking one outfielder, and you are one of the. You know, there's a couple people that only took one outfielder, yeah. Uh, and it's because, did, yep. yeah, you realize you kind of don't need to. There's still, you know, I don't have Shelly didn't take any any outfielder. Yeah. Shelly, Ethan, yeah, didn't yeah, take like any. Ethan and then, like, like you said, uh, and uh, also Jake and Dylan, 
Oh no, Dylan had one. But like you said, in the, the league where you're starting only three outfielders, you could wait a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just it's a really deep position. Whereas in a five outfield format, which is a very popular format that some of these guys are probably just more guy, you know, men and women are probably more used to playing three outfields in the first six picks is, you know, par for the course. Mm-hmm. It's normal because you have like a fifth outfielder can be hard to find. Right. Right. Yep. Like I try to stream them, but it's a streaming spot because it's not worth, it's not always worth it for me to draft them all. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that matters. It's also why I was willing to take so many more pitchers. The Yahoo format really drives you to take more pitchers. It really values pitchers more because there's not that many hitting spots, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Jose Ramirez is my third baseman. There's no corner infield. So I almost don't really have a need for another third baseman until Jose Ramirez is hurt. Right. I don't have to start any more of them, right? Which yeah. is good because third base is a hard spot to fill. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Esteban, he has two third basemen and he was kind of hesitant to do it. I know because he was talking to me about it, but he got Austin Riley and Nolan Arenado. That thinned out the third base pool pretty like by a lot. And so some teams are going to have a hard time, but that'd be a bigger deal if this was a uh, ESPN or NFBC or Fantrax style league that has third base and corner infield. Right. The, the size of the hitting, like the size of the hitting roster you have to carry can really impact what you're doing. In Yahoo, it's really hard to even keep bench hitters at all because of how much you need to stream because of how much focus there is on pitching. Not because they necessarily score it higher, but it's because you just don't need that many hitters. And many times it's a very set and forget for, you know, eight of your 10 hitters that you start. So, but the pitching is you're really, that's where you're really burning and churning. So, you know, that's a big struggle. And that kind of roster construction, that's what you're, that's the other thing you're really practicing in these mocks. Mm-hmm. When you do these two early mocks, again, it's not about it's not about how good I feel about all my picks, right? I'm allowed to hate my Trevor Story pick, but I was right to think I need a middle infielder, and that was the best one I could think of, right? <laughs> I just needed one, I felt, but because I, I was trying to build a very specific kind of roster, and, and I was able to touch all major positions, right? I mm-hmm. got a corner, I got an outfielder, I got two starters, I got a reliever, and I got a middle. Right. Like that's kind of where I wanted to be because now I'm not forcing myself to make any kind of picks later on. It's interesting uh, that you got story with one of the last picks of the sixth round last season. I think you would have had to invest a a third round pick in him. Oh, easily. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I think he's a worse player. I do think Mm -hmm. he's he's got some adjustments to make it. I know this feeds that Colorado narrative, like, oh, when guys leave Colorado, they don't, they don't hit well. But like in the fourth round, Nolan Arenado went and he looks just as good now. I mean, maybe a little less than he did in his prime, but mm-hmm. his numbers would not be that much better in Colorado mm-hmm. because of how bad his home road splits would be and how much he'd struggle on the road because that's part of the Coors effect. So it's, it's one of these things where, you know, obviously that was a gamble, but I wanted to take a middle infielder there because I wanted to be prepared to have a roster where I'm not forced to take picks where I think some of these other managers, two or three picks from now are really going to start feeling pressure where they have to reach because they need that certain position. And that's the last guy that's viable at that spot. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at, um, you know, not to call, I don't mean to call them out like too much and it's hard to know exactly what their philosophy was. And none of these picks were bad and on their own, but like with Brett Goldhammer, this would be a hard team to construct. I'm not saying he can't do it because he's got Shohei Otani. He can do whatever he wants, but He's got, you know, two short, you know, shortstop. Uh, he's got two middle infielder, three outfield. He's got nobody at first and third. And we've seen a lot of first and third go, and those positions are not that deep at the top anymore. His first right? base well, point. Like are, but there's these big clips. CJ Crone might be next. Yeah, CJ Crone is, is probably next, but like, like th- there's a cliff. And Brett, Brett was probably going to feel a lot of pressure to take 
CJ Crone, this next pick, even if he didn't value him there, mm-hmm. right? Because he's like, man, there's no, you know, you look at the remaining first basemen that are of this caliber, they're just not there. And he's got a long way before those picks come back, mm-hmm. right? So that's going to be tough. So I would, I would tell, he's also going to feel pressure to take a pitcher, right? Cause he's got Shohei, but he doesn't have any other ones. He's really going to, yeah, so when you're doing these mocks, anyone start doing mocks whenever you want, because part of the exercise isn't bragging about the team you picked. It's about how am I constructing rosters? Do I feel like some people say, Oh, I like to do pocket aces. Okay. Do that a bunch of time in mocks, right? I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk about mocks on, you know, August 9th of any particular year, but I'm doing it now. (laughs) Think, you know, think about those things right now. If you're thinking about your keepers, think a little bit about that, right? Like how does that make your team construction look going into the next draft? If you're in a rebuild right now, one thing you can be thinking about is not just keeper consolidation, but also how do you make sure you've got the most flexibility heading into your next draft, right? How do you make sure that not just that you have like the guys, you know, you're only keeping late round picks, whatever, it's also, how do I make sure I don't have to reach in my draft early? You never want to be reaching in your first six picks. That's just not a good feeling. Right. You might reach a little bit because it's like the middle of the first and you know they're not coming back around, mm-hmm. right? Like you might have to do that a little, but you don't want to be going like, oh man, I have to take a blank position here. You don't want to have to do that in the first six rounds. That's not a way to build a team. It's really hard to succeed that way. You can, but it's a whole lot harder. So, you know, keep those in mind, even as you're looking to your team next year in these keeper and dynasty leagues, start thinking about some of that now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think we've uh, spent enough time. Uh, Thank everyone for sticking with us. This is an hour and a half, Scott Chu, that we've, uh, but, uh, you know, had a lot of fun talking, uh, mocking for the 2023 season. So uh, I think that should slam the lid on things for today. Don't forget to follow me at Joe Galina. Follow that guy, uh, Scott Chu, at If the Chew Fits. And the hitter list is coming out Wednesday, right, Scott? That's right. Sometime tomorrow afternoon. It's supposed to be two or three o'clock, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that again. The feature this uh, this week ranked at one. 05 will be Jorge Mateo. I really like what he's been doing. Not striking out nearly as much. Still got the power, still got the speed. Yep. He could re- I mean, he's really taking a shot up. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, you heard it here players. first. Yeah. A couple other players like moving up and down. I think there's going to be some fun things to check out there, but really also just be, keep your eye on that taxi squad. Uh, you're, you're really going to start seeing guys jump around more there simply because at this point in the season, uh, you know, that taxi squad I keep on the site is really big. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is I don't know what your league circumstances are. I don't know what you actually need. So I am consciously, you know, I'm putting notes on every guy in the taxi squad because some of them are never going to be top 150 guys, but they are going to be valuable to you as a potential top 150 person for your team because of your needs. Mm-hmm. And if you look in those comments, I say, this is a speed streamer. This is a ratio streamer. This is a power streamer right? Like that's what, that's where they are. You know, that's what Fran Mel Reyes will be right now, right? I can't rank him in the top, you know, hard to rank him in the top 150 because of how bad he's been. Um, and it's not like going to Chicago makes me feel a whole lot better. That's not been a good offense, but he's, but it's he's good. good to hit in. Yeah. And Mm-mm. that's a, that's a power streamer every time, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen players who have, you know, who've been a little behind their home run production, like Nick Castellanos, who has a much better hit tool than Fran Mel Reyes ever will. But you, we've seen Wrigley be a big power boost for guys, and it could well be for Fran Reyes. Yep. 
Oh, for two with a strikeout so far. <laughs> Classic Fran. Fifty percent strikeout rate. There you go, bud. There you go. So yeah, subscribe uh, to our uh, podcast wherever you get your co- podcast content. Uh, leave us a nice review wherever you can. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.